Well, welcome. My name is John McCombs, and I'm one of the assistant pastors here at City Reformed. It is good to have you all with us on this cool Sunday evening. I could say that now, because in like a month we'll want this back, right? Maybe six weeks we'll really want this back. This will have felt very cool. Uh, Tonight we are going to continue in the book of 2 Peter. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn there, 2 Peter chapter 1, or to page 6 in your bulletins. As is our custom, uh, I will uh, read uh, the word and say, this is the word of the Lord, if you could respond with thanks be to God. So hear God's word now from 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you now for this, your word. Lord, we pray that you would use it in our lives. Father, draw us nearer to your throne of grace. Lord, let us see you high and lifted up, and as a result, transform us more into the image of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question here. Who needs reminders in life from time to time? Any of you need reminders in life from time to time? Do you you set reminders for yourself? Oh, I set a bunch. It's it's pretty bad. My memory uh, is is not what it used to be. So you might set them on your phone, little reminders. You might keep a calendar. You might have post-it notes or digital post-it notes or uh, make little audio recordings on your phone or all kinds of things I don't even know about yet that people can probably do if there are things such as social media reminders. I don't know if those exist. Um, But almost all of us use reminders. And most of us probably like them. 
Unless they're kind of reminders like, uh, are you going to do that again? Because I, I've asked you not to do that. Or, or how many times am I going to have to ask you to do that? We don't like those kind of reminders, but the ones we set for ourselves, we, we generally like. We put them there for a reason. Well, the Apostle Peter thinks we need some here. He thinks we need a lot of reminders. He thinks that so much that he wrote this down for us. He wasn't just satisfied right, to pass it down orally. No, he was charged to write these things down. So he did. He wanted to leave us some reminders, which he mentions multiple times in the closing verses of this passage. And he wants to remind us of certain qualities of the Christian life. So we're taking his cue here. If you were here last week, you remember Jim Partridge preached on 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 3, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. We're going a little bit further, and we're getting another reminder. I don't think I'm going to repeat too much of what he said last week, uh, because there is so much in this text, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago as to how to approach this. There were some things he wanted to touch on, and and some things he knew he wasn't going to touch on. So I said, okay, well, you, you take the lead and, and I'll go a little bit further and give us some reminders of some other things in the passage. Right? Uh, so that's what we are doing here tonight. So consider this a reminder of some things you heard last week, but some things that we all need to know again and again. Reminders of these qualities of the Christian life in particular. And I want to start this, uh, this uh, by looking at this idea of knowledge. If you heard two weeks ago, we talked a lot about this idea of knowledge. Peter opens his letter with a standard benediction, right? May grace and peace be added to you. He actually says multiplied. But he says multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Sproul would say um, that this is the central theme of the epistle. Peter links the multiplication of grace and peace to the knowledge of God, which is the central theme of 2 Peter. So he's wishing that grace and peace would be multiplied in the knowledge of God. The text that follows, we see this idea of knowledge again. We see it in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own Glory and excellence. We see it again in verse 5. We see it in verse 6. We see it in verse 8. It just keeps showing up. So what is knowledge? Let's just start there. Well, Merriam-Webster online has a very simple definition. The fact or condition of knowing something with familiarity, gained through experience or association. That's a good starting point for us. It's a good starting definition of knowledge. And knowledge, we need to recognize, is a wonderful gift from God. The ability that we have to know things about the world around us, to know things about each other, to know things about ourselves, to be able to observe them and study them and gather true information about them. And often as we do that, we learn, we grow, we even change in unexpected ways as we learn new things. So it's a blessing to be able to know things about ourselves and about the world around us about each other, but even more so, it's a blessing to be able to know things about God. But it's just a little bit different in that we can't put God under the microscope. In order to know things about God, He needs to reveal them to us, and He has been pleased to do that. He does it through His creation. He does it through His Word. He did it through the incarnate person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're relying upon Him to reveal Himself 
And while sometimes we change when we learn things about the world around us, when we're engaged with God's word, or he's engaging us, we inevitably change. We can't not change. Isaiah 55 says his word goes out and it doesn't return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. Which leads us then to our first question of the evening. What impact should the knowledge of God have on you? Knowing God as he's revealed in his word and in the person of Jesus Christ, how should that be changing us as people? Verses 5 through 7, I think, are going to move us a little bit in that direction. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. See, according to these short verses, faith, which is the gift of God, we've talked about that, produces new innate desires in us. Things we didn't necessarily have before. It creates a desire in us for virtue. or It could also be translated excellence. It's really the crowning of virtues in the Greek language at the time. It produces a desire to know more of God. Faith in us produces a desire to be self-controlled. A desire to be steadfast. A desire to be godly. A desire to be affectionate towards our brothers and sisters. A desire to be loving. Simply put, faith wants more. Faith wants more. It needs fed. Faith must grow. And it will bear fruit. See, these qualities that are listed here, they're, they're very similar to the fruits of the Spirit, are they not? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. There's a significant amount of overlap there. These qualities Peter wants to remind us of are the same things Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. And John Calvin would, in commenting on this passage, say, for the knowledge of Christ is an efficacious thing and a living root which brings forth So our knowledge of Christ and the faith that God puts in us brings forth fruit, creates a desire for these very things. It's weird that knowledge does that, isn't it? Oftentimes we think of knowledge as just kind of information for up here, right? We're a little too much like the, uh, the School of Rock. Have you guys seen that movie with Jack Black, that old one, right? He shows up, right? He's a, he gets kicked out of his band and shows up at this prestigious prep school and he pretends to be a substitute teacher and he ends up in band class, right? Danny, you'd love this one. And, and he's teaching them about rock, right? Rock and roll. And it's the school of rock. And he says, I'm going to challenge your mind, your head, and your brain, right? And sometimes we think that's all knowledge is. It's like it just doesn't go beyond here, right? That's not knowledge in the Bible. That's not knowledge according to Scripture. No, the knowledge of God is more like nourishment for our soul. It's less like information for our minds, although it is that, but it doesn't stop there. It's more like nourishment for our soul to go deep down into us. Just listen to a few passages from Proverbs that are in your additional Scriptures that hit on uh, that very thing. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. For the Lord gives wisdom... 
From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It's going way beyond up here. Uh, Proverbs uh, chapter uh, 22, uh, verses 17 uh, through 19, we'll say it this way. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you, uh, even to you today. Proverbs 9, uh, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So how do we become people characterized by these qualities? If we're ever going to get there, it's going to be only because we have fixed our eyes firmly on Christ, who is these very things. And he's altogether lovely. By staring at someone so beautiful and admiring all the beauty resident within him. By not taking our eyes off of him and asking God to make us like him. You see, knowledge of Christ in and of itself is not our end goal, although it's good. That's the means to the end. The end is becoming like Him and worshiping Him. That's the end. Learning more about Him is for the purpose of being transformed into His image and for worshiping Him. It's just not to put things in here. It's so that this gets changed and so we fall down on our knees and praise Him. We can miss that. Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, uh, the famous love chapter. It'll be wedding season uh, soon at City Reform this summer, uh, and they'll be kicking off. And uh, there was one, it was out in Arizona, I'm not sure if anybody made it, uh, it was just a little bit ago, and there's another one uh, coming up, uh, and it's up north in Prospects this weekend. I don't know if anyone's going to make that one, but it's wedding season, bells are ringing, uh, and they're going to hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, but sometimes we miss this. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. We can miss the point entirely on knowledge of God, and very sadly some do. You see, we learn about Christ and who he is and his great love for us in order to love others. We can only learn about this great love from the one who is love. This is exactly Paul's point in Philippians chapter 1 as he writes to this dear church. Uh, and he says in verses 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of of righteousness. Kind of sounds like those qualities, doesn't it? 
that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul will say the same thing in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see what the knowledge of Christ is supposed to lead to? These are the qualities that Peter is reminding us of. And they're not themselves, the qualities are not themselves the knowledge of God, but they spring forth from it. They grow in that soil. This is the garden of our faith. So that's what the knowledge of God is supposed to do in our minds and in our hearts, which are inextricably linked. And now my second question is this. What impact is the knowledge of God having on you? So we know what it impact it should have, but now what impact is it having? We, we read here in verses 8 through 11, uh, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself growing in these qualities? If you do, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That is the knowledge of God bearing fruit in your life. Praise the Lord. What if you don't? What if you see little to no progress? Let's start with none. What if the knowledge of God isn't even interesting to you? What if you want nothing to do with God? I would ask you what your foundation for knowledge is. How do you know what's true? How do you know what's good, what's lovely, what's pure? How are you defining those things? Perhaps you need to consider the Lord Jesus Christ and our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who is himself everything that is good and true and beautiful, who is knowledge. All truth, anything that is true, is ultimately God's truth. Perhaps you just haven't bowed the knee and you don't want to be ruled by Him. That's hard. This is the time to consider what your foundation is and whether you think it's firm or not. And I invite you to consider what I believe is to be the firmest and the only foundation, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if these qualities are not yours and you're not interested in them, it would make sense if you're not interested in God. And I'd invite you to speak to someone after service to see what a relationship with Christ could be like, to see what knowing about him really involves. See, it's not just knowing 
facts about a person. It's actually having a genuine relationship. I was listening to uh, an Adventures in Odyssey episode not too long ago. And any of you guys know what Adventures in Odyssey is? Okay, our kids love this stuff. And uh, there was an episode uh, where this uh, young boy, he's a teenager, uh, and his son died in the, or his father died in the Vietnam War before he was born. And he has no living memories of him whatsoever. And all he has is what's told to him. No personal connection at all. All he has is what's told to him. Because he's trying to connect to a person who's, who's passed away. A person who's dead. Knowing things about Jesus Christ is not trying to connect with someone. Just facts, ideas, thoughts, random things to hang here and there. Because he's not dead. He's alive. See, it's more than just knowing things about someone. It's knowing the person. Getting to know them. Getting personally involved with them. And so he's alive. And this is what the gospel is all about. Inviting people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just knowing facts about God, but knowing him. Knowing the one who created you and for what purpose he created you and his great love for you. If you're a Christian and you're seeing little to no progress, perhaps uh, in Peter's words here, you have forgotten your cleansing. You have forgotten your purpose. Perhaps you've forgotten you have died to the old manner of life in order to live in this new life, in order to grow in these qualities. Paul will say a similar thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That's what you've been brought into relationship with Christ for, to be renewed in knowledge after his image. Perhaps you've lost sight of that. That's what growing in these qualities means. That's what Christians are called to in this life, to press into Christ, to grow into Him, to know that we are His and that He is ours. If you're struggling with this, I'll give you just a few rather obvious but hopefully helpful pointers. If you're struggling to grow in the knowledge of Christ, if it's not impacting you at a heart level, uh, the first question is, uh, as simple and straightforward as can be. Are you reading God's Word? Are you reading God's Word? If you're not reading it every day, for some amount of time, it's going to be really hard. What relationship do you have that's going to grow significantly if you talk to each other eh, once every three weeks, once a month, once every six months? Only when things are bad. Only when things are good. It's not a a growing relationship. So if you're not reading the word of God, you're not increasing in your knowledge of him, and those things, if they never get in here, don't have a chance to ever make their way down here. So I want you to encourage you to read God's word, but not just read it. I actually want to encourage you to read it as if your life depends on it. Because it does. Your new life in Christ depends on it. You growing in these qualities 
is dependent upon you growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when you read, what is your mindset? And I can tell you I'm just as guilty as the next person of getting up and whatever the goal was for that day. All right, I did it. It's over with. But what did I learn? How did I worship? What do I know more about God that I didn't know before? And how has that impacted me at a heart level? I'm not here to bash Bible reading plans at all. I think overall they're a good thing. But how many times have you done a Bible reading plan? I've done a few of them. And the goal becomes to read three chapters a day. And not to know more about God and be transformed by Him. For having met with Him. So you could not be, perhaps you're not reading enough. I hesitate to say this as a pastor. Perhaps you're reading too much. (laughs) What I mean by that is you're just reading for quantity. You're reading for speed. You're reading to get through it. You're reading, and there's a place for that, but if you're not slowing down and meditating on the Word of God, meeting with Him and letting Him transform you for that reading, then you're going to have a hard time growing in the knowledge of Christ. And these qualities are not going to have fertile soil within you to grow. You remember the story from Genesis chapter 32 with Jacob? Uh, Genesis chapter 32. Uh, here's Jacob is now coming back to meet Esau. It's been quite some time since they've seen each other. He's very scared. Of course, he doesn't realize his brother's already forgiven him. Uh, and so he's very, very scared. Uh, and as he's coming back in Genesis 32, uh, he's all alone. And we read in verse 24, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. This isn't a charge to be like Jacob. This is a charge in your own quiet, personal time with God to wrestle. To wrestle with Him till you walk away blessed. Till you walk away having known something about Him that you didn't know before that really affects how you live. That should be the goal in our time with Him. So whether that means you need to read more or you need to slow down, I'll leave that up to you. But certainly, if Christ is before you daily and your eyes are fixed upon Him, you're admiring Him in all His beauty and desiring to become like Him, you're going to make progress in these areas. These qualities in you are going to grow. The knowledge of God cannot increase in you if you're not in the Word of God. But if you are, and you're seeking God's blessing in your times with Him, this is the nursery for these qualities to grow. Lastly, if you think all of this is up to you, I want to share with you just a few precious promises. 
for your precious faith. Now, verses 3 through 4 say, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As we learned about faith a couple weeks ago, Uh, Our faith uh, is precious from verse 2. Our faith of equal standing is a faith that's equally precious before God, and faith gets the victory. And a precious faith comes with precious promises. So here they go. First, from verse 3, it is His divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It's not our own, it's His divine power. It comes from him. The dynamite of God, so to speak, is at work, ensuring your faith, no matter how small, perseveres and gets the victory. Second promise, God has granted you, from verse 3, all things that pertain to life and godliness. They're yours, church, brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to encourage you to press into them. They're yours. They're like Christmas presents under the tree, just waiting to be opened. Will you press into them? Thirdly, you've been called to his own glory and excellence. You've been called into his own glory and excellence. You're probably not connecting that word there, excellence, from verse 4 to the virtue of verse 5, but it's actually the same word. So as you're trying to add virtue to your faith and grow in those qualities, know that you've been called into His excellence, into His virtues. Christ alive in you, the hope of glory. Fourth, uh, from verse 4, through His Precious promises, you'll partake of the divine nature. Now, I hate to break your heart if you think that means you're going to become God, because you're not going to become God. What it means is you will attain to these qualities. So for those of you who are struggling and seeing little progress, you you have work to do. You need to get in God's Word. You need to wrestle with the Scriptures. And know more about him and let that change you. But I want you to know that these qualities will be produced in you. Sanctification is not complete in this life. And sometimes it is one step forward, two steps back. But you will get there. All those qualities will one day be yours. And lastly, also from verse 4, you've escaped from a world that scoffs at these qualities. That is, you've been set free from it. That's who you were. But that's not who you are. So you are now free to pursue these things as you pursue Christ day by day, knowing that these things are growing inside of you. Peter wants to remind you of that. God's Word is more than just knowledge for your head. It is knowledge for your very souls. Will you press into it? Will you press into Christ?
and be transformed into his image. Let's press in together as the church. Let's pray.